and welcome to episode 39 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to figure out your top 10 favorite board game lists. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're finally doing the thing that everybody loves. We're making a list. First, we discuss a few games we've played recently, like Flip Ships, Magic the Gathering, and Near and Far. Then we each share our top five games that surprised us in good or bad ways. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word card. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie, Cassidy, and me, Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the episode. As uh, you've heard from me in the last few episodes, the Fantasy Board Game League is still ongoing, and I really need you to vote for me. Technically, we're recording this episode in advance, so I don't actually know how well I'm doing <laughs> at the moment. But if you go to draftmechanic.net slash FBGL, and there is a link to that in the show notes, you can vote for my fantasy board game team, Dicey Picks. Every single week that you vote, you are entered to win a $100 gift certificate to an online game store. And you can help me win my matchup because the voting is part of the points that we get every week. So I need all of our listeners to please, please, please go and vote for me. And then hopefully the karma that you receive for voting for my team specifically, Dicey Picks, will help you win that gift certificate. There is no guarantee that that will actually happen, but you know, karma is still good. So vote for me. I got to demo Flip Ships at Dice Tower Con, and I finally got to play a full game of it recently. Flip Ships is a 2017 game by Renegade Game Studios, designed by Kane Klenko. It's a cooperative dexterity game for one to four players, and it takes about 45 minutes. So Flip Ships is kind of like Space Invaders, the board game. There's a deck of cards that are enemy ships, and they're lined up in a grid. And you have your own ships that are little pog-like discs, little discs of cardboard and shout you, out to pog <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and, and you launch them onto the enemy ships by flipping them in the air so you can like flick them or lift them or something but you have to make sure they flip over themselves and then land somewhere and if they touch a card when they land they hit that enemy and you can hit multiple enemies on the same uh, shot each of your ships also has special powers so one person's ship could hit an enemy even if they weren't touching it or another ship can hit an adjacent enemy to the one they hit and you want to kill all the enemies because more will spawn each turn and the ones that are already there move toward the surface and if they reach the surface of the earth or whatever planet you're on they'll attack to win the game you want to kill all the ships and the mothership the mothership is this big cardboard box standy thing with an opening in the top and to hit the mothership you have to land your flipped ship inside that box and if you kill all the little ships before you kill the mothership, then you get one last turn before the mothership blows you all up. So it's kind of hard. You want to make sure you're getting hits into the mothership too. And kind of sounds like the end of Metroid, based on the way you described it. <laughs> but it was actually like the end of Independence Day. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And during the game, as you take damage, you end up unlocking more ships. So you each start with two at the beginning, and you can unlock five more for seven total. And the later ships also have better powers. So you need to keep that in mind when you're flipping your ships since you get to flip all of them on your turn. So you pick which ones you're flipping in order. And it's neat having a bunch of ships to flip at the end of the game because you just flip, flip, flip. <laughs> Our play of flip ships was really exciting. We played four players and we had one health left at the end with just the mothership left to kill. And it had four health left. So we each had to hit it once. And we each got seven tries. So everyone 
was able to get one hit except for me. Oh, no. <laughs> and so the earth was destroyed because of me. Wah, and, wah. and then after the game was over, I did like one more practice shot to try to get it in the mothership and I got it on the first try. So of course. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, I really like flip ships. I like dexterity games and cooperative games, so it's a lot of fun for me. And it looks really neat on the table. It has cool art and the mothership box thing looks cool. I feel like maybe you like it specifically because the name on the front of the box is an ambigram. Yeah, yeah, that that too. Wow. Wow. Really? Yep, I went there. Uh, I don't know if uh, I can beat that pun. Nobody can beat that pun. I've recently played some Magic the Gathering. I'm going a little off-grid today with my recently played if you do or don't well if you don't know magic the gathering came out in 1993 guys this game is old it's it's been around the block a few times and uh i've been playing it off and on for a very long time (laughs) we do a thing with magic called a cube draft so we have we pick and choose a select number of cards i think we have maybe 650 cards in a box and we make the booster packs of 15 cards each out of the box instead of doing like the sealed booster packs that you would typically get in magic and we invite anywhere from 6 to 12 people over to participate in this draft without having to spend money (laughs) which is really nice because Magic is a very expensive hobby to get into, and sometimes you just don't want to spend it. However, we did for all of the cards in our fun cube. <laughs> anyway, I really like this particular style of playing Magic because I'm not an exceptionally competitive player or really good because I just can't think in advance or based off of what people are playing very well I don't react well to other things in that game so I like this because it's a more level playing field you're I'm not playing against somebody who's been spending years like crafting decks and and things like that so I made a fun green white deck that I thought was pretty good and I got crushed so that was fun I really like this game I'm really horrible at playing the magic I'm just so bad the alcohol probably didn't help my abilities to think and plan. <laughs> yeah, my husband plays magic competitively, so we have a lot of magic cards at our house, including he's he's done a cube before, and I've actually participated in that, and that was pretty fun. But it's it's tough for me to play regularly because he's really, really good at it. <laughs> so like and he's also a little bit of a sore loser at times. So basically, <laughs> if he wins, that's not that fun for me. And if I win, that's also not that fun for me. So <laughs> so he's my husband is a lovely, lovely person. But yes, uh, a little bit competitive when it comes to game playing at times. So we don't play magic together that often. But yeah, we have lots of magic cards. Cassidy, you should come visit and you should see the nonsense <laughs> that is our one of our spare bedrooms because it is we just We used to cards. have lots of magic cards. Uh, Matt's yeah. been selling his off. 
think we're going to just be down to the cube and the some of the commander decks that they're coming oh, out. Oh, yeah, we have the commander decks as well. Those are pretty cool. There's a lot of different formats in Magic. And I think Which it's sometimes awesome. intimidating for other people who haven't played it before to get into because it is such a kind of big thing. But there are some very approachable formats that new players can get into pretty easily. Uh, there's like those pre-constructed decks that you can just buy off the mm-hmm. shelf. We have a couple of those. Yeah. So if people have been interested in trying Magic the Gathering and have been scared off, like there's definitely ways to get into it that you don't have to do the whole go into a game store on a Friday night and be overwhelmed by a bunch yeah, of people. Yeah, they have fun like beginner sets too with the rules written out really well. And those helped me a lot when they when the original ones were out, but they're a lot different now. <laughs> That's cool though. I am currently in the middle of a two-player campaign game of Near and Far, which was published in 2017 by Red Raven Games, and it is designed by Ryan Locat. He also does the artwork. He designs and does the artwork for his own games, which we've mentioned in the art episode, and I just want to call that out again because it's amazing. The quickest way to describe Near and Far is if you took a light worker placement game and a choose-your-own-adventure book, and you smashed them together until you had the most beautiful looking board game you could imagine. The game does allow for non-campaign play, but I'm going to talk about the campaign since that's what I'm currently doing. So in the campaign, each player chooses a character that they will keep for the duration of the 10 games. They get experience points throughout the campaign and can level up their character and gain new abilities over time. During each game, a specific map is used within a book, and then a town board is placed above the map. Players visit different locations in the town. Um, This is where the worker placement part comes in. And you can gain resources and recruit other people to your party. And then when you choose to go adventuring, you move down to the map board. And you can wander around encountering different story-based experiences that are laid out on the map. So when you travel over a spot where one of the book tokens is lying, a different player will read aloud from this really big book of adventure experiences. And they give the active player options to pick from each of which often have a specific skill or combat check that needs to be made. And then based on what you choose, you will get to hear a cool story thing about what happened and you'll get potential rewards or items or even side quests that you will then continue later on in your adventure. And some of the encounters even give you a keyword that then will potentially influence future encounters in other places. And then in the game, the core mechanic of how you actually win or lose is victory points. You get them by building items, putting your tents onto the board in different locations as you're doing certain tasks and other activities. And then once one player has put all their tents on the board, the game ends and the player with the most points wins. I had been interested in trying this game out for a while based on what I'd heard about it, and I hadn't gotten around to it. And wow, I'm very, very happy that I finally have. I love story-based games, and I love light worker placement games. So this game, so Near and Far, is basically perfect for me. The games are pretty quick. With two players, our games take us an hour or less each at this point. And at the time of this recording, we're only a little ways into the campaign. But by the time this episode releases, I believe I will have finished the campaign. But are either one of you, have either one of you played this one yet? I haven't. I really, 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 really want to, though. (laughs) (laughs) I I cannot, I mean, even just a little bit into the campaign, I can't recommend it highly enough. It is Mm. so much fun. It's definitely not a super deep strategic 
game. Like, if you're looking for something heavy, this is not that. But that's why it's perfect for me. Because I'm not mm-hmm. as, I like, when it comes to Euro-style mechanisms, I prefer stuff on the lighter side. And this is, it, there's definitely a lot of strategy involved. There is uh, a little bit of dice rolling with, like, the combat checks and the skill checks. But the thing is, you have a resource. You have hearts every time you go out adventuring. And when you roll too low, you can spend hearts to make up the difference. So in almost every instance, you can complete a skill check even if you don't roll well. There are some instances where you can't, but... So it's, the dice rolls are very mitigated if you've built up your resource as well. And it's so much fun. And it's so pretty to look at. And man, oh man, this game is just awesome. <laughs> yeah, I really want to try Near and Far. I played Above and Below and didn't like it because I was expecting more emphasis on the storytelling. But it seemed to like dissuade the storytelling with the points. But I've heard that Near and Far has more of the storytelling. So that's more like what I was hoping for from above and below. So I, I'm hoping I'll like near and far. And I imagine if you were playing with like four players, you wouldn't, mm-hmm. like each player would only get little bits of the story, probably. But with two players, on most of the maps we've played thus far, I believe there have been seven different like book tokens on the map. So each game, we tend to each get like either three or four different story things and the game only takes an hour so that's a lot so i i don't know how well the game plays with four since i haven't done that but i'm really enjoying it with two players and you have an animal companion and if you lose (laughs) a game in the next game you get a better animal companion so normally you either get a dog or a cat and if you lose in the next game you get a platypus and it's so cute (laughs) oh that's silly it's so silly and i love it Oh, and the artwork is incredibly diverse as well, which is I appreciate very, very much. So props to you, Ryan, for doing that. Something we've noticed is that people on the internet or people who consume board game content tend to like lists a lot. And lists are not something that we typically do, but we figured it might be fun to give it a shot. This is not necessarily going to be a regular thing for us, but we, for our thematic segment, are going to present to you our top five games that surprised us. And that could mean any number of things. It could be they surprised us in a good way or in a bad way or something else. Um, These are not going to necessarily be in order. So we are going to do five through one, but that doesn't necessarily mean that number one is the most surprising. It just means that these are our top five surprising games. So let's head into it. Ambie, why don't you give us our number five? This list was actually really hard for me because I don't generally expect much from games, so it's hard to get surprised. But my number five is Adrenaline. I think I mentioned this in our 2016 review year episode, but I typically don't like area control games, so I wasn't expecting to like Adrenaline. But I really got into it when I played it, and the theme was really cool. And also because the area control isn't like all or nothing. You get points if you're second place and stuff. It was I had a lot of fun playing adrenaline my number five is clank clank was a surprise a good surprise for me because when i was first introduced to it they said it's a deck builder it's a dungeon dive and i gave patrick the shadiest look i think i've ever (laughs) given anybody like are you kidding me those two things together but i really love clank it's still one of one of my uh one of my favorite games My number five is Star Trek Panic. 
So I had heard about Castle Panic before, but had not played it. I used to play a lot of tower defense style video games. And I love Star Trek a lot. So I figured, hey, this is a combination of a tower defense style game and Star Trek. This has got to be a guaranteed winner. Oh boy, was I wrong. (laughs) I hated this game so much. I walked away from this game, like, utterly, utterly disappointed by how much I hated it. And Mm -hmm. there's reasons for that, which I don't necessarily, I, it's, I don't think it is well designed in a lot of aspects. And I think it is way too brutal for what should be a light family style game. But yeah. So that is my number five, Star Trek Panic. Number four. My number four was Codenames Duet. Codenames is a great game. And then Codenames Pictures was basically Codenames with Pictures. And then Codenames Marvel and Codenames Disney are Codenames with Marvel and Disney Pictures, which is basically the same rule set. So Codenames Duet, two-player Codenames, I was thinking there isn't going to be much difference. It's just going to be the same thing. But I was surprised because... There were actually some rule changes that made it a good game. Like, <laughs> and, I mean, <laughs> Codenames is a good game, but Codenames Duet was a different, interesting game as well because you're giving clues at the same time. You both have clues to give and stuff. So I really was surprised by Codenames Duet. I This was on my short list for mm-hmm. this as well because I had burned myself out on Codenames yeah. and I really love Codenames Duet. So that's a good choice. I don't know if I'll ever play it because I just don't get the opportunity to play two-player mm-hmm. games. Yeah, so. my, hus- my husband and I don't actually play a lot of two-player games, but this one has hit the table for us a few times. We both mm. really enjoy it. My number four is Sagrada. I say Sagrada surprised me because I hate dice and this game is all dice. And you don't hate dice. You used to hate dice. I kind of like them have a, a large <laughs> dislike for dice. <laughs> But anyway, Sagrada is my most played game of the year, and I picked it up in July, so uh, it definitely surprised me, and I really do enjoy it. My number four is Kingdom Builder. Uh, It is not surprising to anyone that I generally like a lot of theme in my games, and most people that know me are kind of shocked to hear how much I like Kingdom Builder because it's pretty themeless. But for some reason, the strategy involved and the abstractness of it is really enjoyable for me, particularly with the expansions and the variable scoring cards, uh, which make every single game very different. I honestly bought it without knowing much about it. Way back in, I want to say 2013... Will Wheaton actually tweeted about it and just how much he liked it. And I, on a whim, because I was kind of just building my collection at the time, I just purchased it off Amazon without knowing anything. And I'm really glad I did because I don't know if I would have ever tried it otherwise if I had known more about what style of game it was. And I'm very happy I did because I love it a lot. It is awesome. I have the big box now with all four expansions. And I think it's one of only like two games I own where I have all of the expansion content. So... That is my number four, Kingdom Builder. I love Kingdom Builder. It's great. Number three. My number three is Dragon Punch, which is a small two-player game by Level 99. 
And it was a free game at BGGCon, like next to all the flyers and badge ribbons and stuff. So like a free little game. I didn't expect it to be good at all, but <laughs> but I played it and it was actually pretty fun. It's a like 15 minute game to player and you're playing cards at the same time, just trying to fight each other. And uh, I, I thought it was really interesting for a free game. <laughs> My number three is Ingenious. I picked this game up before I was really playing a lot of board games. And I picked it up, I think, at Target or something like that in like their family gaming section before they started expanding on their board game collections and sales and stuff at Target. And I just expected it to be like most other family games where it'll just be simple, push some stuff around a board. But Ingenious turned out to have a lot more depth and strategy to it, and it's really enjoyable to play. And so that sort of kind of spurred more uh more board game purchases i think (laughs) (laughs) well thank you ingenious (laughs) my number three is arcadia quest so unlike kingdom builder which i just talked about which doesn't have a lot of theme arcadia quest has a lot of theme but the reason it surprised me is because the very first game of the campaign that my friends and i played i had a really really horrible time And this was not necessarily the game's fault, but there is a lot of dice rolling in Arcadia Quest. And by sheer luck, all of my dice rolls the first game we played were horrific. Just every single one of them. It was misses, misses. I was unable to do just about anything. My characters kept dying. It was really, really frustrating. And therefore, I didn't have a good time with it. And... Even in that moment, I was able to recognize that there was potential there, but it was hard for me to say that I liked the game because of how bad of a time I had with it. I told my friends, let's play the next game in the campaign. I'm going to give it another shot and we'll see what happens, but no guarantees about me wanting to continue past that point. And we did. And when the dice rolls (laughs) weren't, you know, statistically horrible the whole time, which is rare to happen, I found that I loved it a lot. I really love Arcadia Quest. It is a wonderful game. And obviously with, you know, like Cassidy says often, dice rolls can go really, really poorly. And having some bad ones and some good ones is fine in a game, but just based on the sheer luck of it, that first game was horrible. Uh, We ended up playing through the entire campaign and I had a blast with it. Arcadia Quest is wonderful. So I was surprised in a good way by Arcadia Quest, my number three three number two my number two was spyfall i like social deduction games usually but i guess i don't like all of them now but so i i thought i would like spyfall because it's social deduction party game but it turns out i did not like it at all really (laughs) (laughs) because i didn't it was too stressful coming up with questions and answers because it's very free form and I like where you can just say yes or no and you know the question and answer more so I was I was sad that I did not like Spyfall that's actually the thing I like about Spyfall (laughs) is the coming up with the the questions and answers but other than that I I just do do that game I think you need to you definitely need to play that game with the right group of people because in the wrong group it can fall flat really quickly my number two is A Feast for Odin, and I'm going to say, this is silly, uh, A Feast for Odin surprised me by 
literally how heavy the box was. (laughs) (laughs) I picked up the box and I said, whoa. (laughs) I mean, I knew there were lots of bits and I knew it was a pretty big game, but I was still... uh, a little taken aback by the by the heft of it. <laughs> I still oh actually need to play it, by the way. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that hasn't so happened funny. Yet. <laughs> I love it. You were surprised by the heft of <laughs> My number two is Dark Moon. You all know by now that I love Battlestar Galactica. So when I heard that there was a battle or a BSG Express game, I was very interested. I technically never got to play that fan variant that was created online, but it was eventually turned into a real game. The licensing had to be stripped off, so it was no longer Battlestar Galactica themed, but it was supposedly the same game, and they called it Dark Moon. Uh, Many people said that they liked it more than Battlestar Galactica because it gave you the same feeling of that game, but in a shorter playtime. So I was really excited to try it. And then disappointment set in. So for me, the theme of Battlestar Galactica is one of my favorite parts. I mean, the the mechanisms in it are really solid, but the theme is what I truly love. And the differences between it and Dark Moon, both thematically and mechanically, are too divergent. I just, I went in expecting something similar to Battlestar, and that is not what I got out of Dark Moon. If I'd played Dark Moon with no prior knowledge about where it came from or what it was supposed to be, I think I might have actually really enjoyed it. But based on how I went in, um, I ended up very disappointed. So maybe that's a lesson for me that I should not... (laughs) set my expectations too high with certain games but I really was I was excited I was so like I wanted to love it and I even won the game that I played Uh, so clearly it wasn't a matter of losing I just it's not the same Battlestar Galactica is a class in and of itself that will probably never be met for me so that is my number two Dark Moon and finally number one my number one is 18xx games. Uh, Surprise! I, <laughs> so I didn't expect to like 18xx games when I first started. The first game I played was 18AL, which I actually don't recommend as a game. But it, <laughs> so I didn't know what 18xx games really were. And so we had to like watch a Scott Nicholson video on an intro of what they were. It's like an hour long. And then read the rules to 18AL, which are terrible. It's like 18xx rules are really hard to read. They're like tax documents or something. So it was like, I don't know what's going on. You're selling this really well, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really not expecting to like it, but we played it and we all were like, oh, this is really neat. <laughs> and then we played it again and then we started getting into more 18xx games. So, But now there's more intro videos, like Heavy Cardboard has the 1846 and I've done the how to play 1830 so there's more videos out there for people wanting to get into it (laughs) and maybe you'll link to those in the show notes in case any of our listeners have heard you talking about 18xx and want to try and get into them good idea okay (laughs) (laughs) my number one is jack in the box Surprise! Because it pops out at you. Seriously, I couldn't think of a fifth one. Uh, I'm a horrible person and go into everything with no expectations and generally don't get surprised. But the Jack in the Box when I was a kid always scared the crap out of me. So, yeah, Jack in the Box. Wait, like the toy, not a game? (laughs) 
My number one is Stockpile. So uh, no offense to Ambi and her 18xx games, but generally for me, when a game has stock market related mechanisms at its heart or as a big part of it, uh, my eyes tend to sometimes glaze over and my mind starts to wander. Uh, Stocks don't immediately enthuse me, I should say. And that is why I was super shocked to discover how much I loved Stockpile. Uh, it, which is not an 18xx game, to be clear. It is a regular <laughs> board game, but it is pretty much just stock market. I only tried it because it was a play-to-win game at a convention I went to in 2015, uh, STG Con in St. George, Utah. So yeah, we were like, oh, we can play and win some games, so let's do that. And we tried it, and I loved it. It's really easy to learn and teach. Like, we learned it from the rulebook pretty quickly, uh, and it's a lot of fun. The expansion that came out later, Continuing Corruption, made it even better. And the one piece of that expansion, specifically the forecast dice, I will never play without going forward. And that's not to say that the base game was lacking, but the dice are just so much more awesome. But yeah, like if you are like me and stock market games don't really sound like a lot of fun necessarily, I would say that Stockpile is a great one to try out because it's easy to learn and it's really quite fun. So that is my number one, Stockpile. And that is the end of our very first top (laughs) anything list. It was fun for us to make. We hope you all enjoyed listening to it. If you would like us to do more lists of any kind in the future, uh, let us know uh, on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGameGeek, wherever you tend to talk to us. Uh, let us know if that's something that you would like to see more of. There's no guarantees that you will, but if it's something you like, then who knows? Maybe we can... And if you want to suggest ideas for top lists, that might help, theoretically, because if you give us a good idea, then maybe we'll do it. For this week's etymology segment, I'm going to look at the origins of the word card. Dating back to the 14th century, the English word card comes from the Middle French word carte, which in turn can be traced back to the Latin carta, meaning leaf of paper or tablet. If you trace it back even further, you find the Greek word cartes, meaning layer of papyrus. The figurative phrase house of cards is first attested to English poet John Milton in the 1640s. Speaking of houses of cards, the first known record for a house of cards was awarded in 1901 to an Englishwoman named Victoria Maitland, who built a 15-story structure. That's 15 stories in cards, not buildings. The Guinness Book of World Records awarded the tallest house of freestanding playing cards to Brian Berg in 1992, and no other person has claimed the title from him in 25 years, although Berg has broken his own record more than 10 times since then. His current record-holding tower was nearly 26 feet tall and required 1,100 decks of cards to build. I don't even have something witty to say about that. It's just darn impressive. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. Make sure to check out their new roll-and-write game, Harvest Dice, which is releasing at Spiel Essen this week. Gray Fox Games. Quality games, cleverly crafted. If you love the show and want a bunch of blitzy benefits, including access to our private Slack channel, you can become a patron for as little as $1. Just head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. 
Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out the other shows in the network by visiting dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time, Blitz goes the podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Number four. Oh, do we still me first? Yes. We'll <laughs> okay. just do in order every single okay. time. <laughs> I think we're going to have more bloopers this episode. <laughs> Happy episode bloopers. <laughs> yeah, somebody, well, a viewer requested that we have more bloopers. And that is the only reason we're messing up so much today. Right? Yes, definitely. That is the reason. Okay. And finally... Number one. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> okay, uh, Eric Summerer would be so proud of you, Ambi. Make sure to check out their new roll and write game, Harvest Dice, which is this. <laughs> okay. Yay, bloopers! <laughs> no, we have we too have many. So many this episode, <laughs> and we're already over the time. Okay. That we should be.